Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to be with you once again. I have another Bible study from the book of Haggai. This time, it's another biographical sketch, but this time it's going to be Haggai the prophet himself. Now, there's not a ton of information about Haggai the prophet. Uh, we're only introduced to him uh, in Ezra chapter 5. That's the first time he's, he's mentioned. Um, and then we get to the book of Haggai itself. And, and some of the details that are left out of the narrative that's set, out, set about in, um, in, in Ezra are made more clear. We're given a lot more detail in the book of Haggai itself. So we're going to look at some of that today in this study. We'll start in Haggai 1.1. So if you have a Bible and would like to follow along, if you are able and capable of following along, it's always good to read these and it's always good to see this for yourself. And so Haggai 1.1 this, as we read this and we set out to do this study, it's going to serve both as kind of a high-level overview of the book of Haggai, as well as a a very brief and basic biographical sketch of Haggai himself. So, Haggai one one. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah. And to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying. So Haggai, Haggai is the first prophet to prophesy after Judah returns from Babylonian captivity. Now that's, that's significant. Um, it, it's also indicative of, of, of man. So uh, Judah just left Babylon. I mean, they, they have, at this point when Haggai's, prophesying they haven't just left they've been back for some time uh, maybe anywhere from 10 to 15 years uh, depending on on you know how, how you time it but um, but within 10 to 15 years the memory of of Babylonian captivity should be pretty stout <laughs> it should pre- it should be pretty strong it should it should kind of dominate your thoughts uh, especially as you're you're returning and you're trying to rebuild life, you're trying to reestablish life as Judah, as the people of God in the promised land. It'd be it'd be kind of difficult, I would presume. I would I would assume it would be kind of difficult to forget we just came out of Babylonian captivity. Um, God just dealt harshly with us because of our sin, and here we are. God is already having to raise up a prophet to come and deal with us because of our sin. Now, conveniently, the book of Haggai is directly after the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah was the last prophet to prophesy before Judah went into Babylonian captivity. Haggai is the first prophet to prophesy after Babylonian captivity. And then um, just a few months later, about two months later, Zechariah began prophesying alongside Haggai now, Haggai's time, recorded time of prophesying is fairly short. He has five messages, five very distinct and, and uh, clear messages that are laid out in the book of Haggai. Uh, he comes back five times and, and gives the people a specific message. And, uh, and then 
from there, Zechariah takes over and, and, you know, they, they not only prophesy side by side, but Zechariah would, would continue for a, a more extended period of time. And then after that, no word from God for, for uh, what seems like a long time. And then Malachi comes on the scene and then silence for 450 years. Now, that doesn't mean people had no direction from God. They had his word. They had his instruction. If God never speaks to you again, you still have a Bible. You, you still have his word. You, you don't, we don't need God to appear and to give us some, some extra revelation. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and it's in his word. So uh, that's why it's, it's somewhat futile when people um, sit around and do nothing because they're waiting on, on a message from God. God gave you his word in which he was very clear what he expects of us and, and what he would have us to do. And so uh, we just got to get busy doing that and, 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 not, and not using a lack of, of external extra revelation outside the word of God as an excuse not to do what God would have us to do. Now, these people became complacent and their complacency did not please God. Now, neither did their reason for complacency. Uh, you, might be, you might be tempted to say, yeah, but they were, they were under great oppression. Uh, they, they were forced to stop doing what, what they were supposed to be doing. Well, that, that, was not, that was not an excuse in the eyes of God. So he raised up prophets. And in Ezra chapter 5, Ezra chapter 5 and verse 1, then the prophets... Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, excuse me, Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. So Haggai was given five messages. Haggai shows up on the scene and he begins prophesying. Uh, we read in Haggai one one, it, it was it was directed primarily nearly every message except for two. So he's got five. Three of them are directed specifically to Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the leader, the men in positions of leadership. Now, later, as we're going to go over these five messages briefly, uh, the Lord would send him back to speak directly to the priests, and then he would send them back to, back, back to speak directly to Zerubbabel. And each message is significant and has its place of importance. Now, as I've said multiple times now, Haggai was given five distinct messages. And it, the first one comes in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Now, I'm not going to read the, the, the entire messages to you. We're going we're gonna to spend, I'm, sh- I'm sure, quite a bit of time going through these messages in the book of Haggai. So if you continue to come back, you can, we can go through those together and hopefully learn and, and gain and grow and become more Christ-like and, and make these things applicable to our lives, especially in a time you know, uh, th- there, there's so many concerns in the world today with all that's happening. And my concern for America, <clears throat> of course, we were concerned during the lockdown and the way that Christians allowed governments to, to dominate them and they, and they did nothing about it. And when I say they did nothing about it, I don't mean that they didn't take up arms and fight the government. That, that as I've said re- repeatedly in these studies, that's not our place. That's that's not our, our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're supposed to remain faithful even in the light of, of government persecution or, or government restriction. When a government restricts the ability of the church to do what the church is supposed to do, to, to accomplish what, what the Lord gave us to do, that government has set themselves against God. And we have a responsibility not to follow the dictates of that government and, and, and encourage the church of God to be against God with the government who, who, is, who has set themselves against God. No, we're, we're supposed to remain faithful and continue to do what God expects us to do, even in light of such difficulties, even in light of all that, that, could, come, that could come from it. So uh, these things are very important. Now, in Uganda, we're, we're still under a very severe lockdown. Um, you know, it, there, there's much that could be said about that, but that's not the purview of our of our study. So I, I'm not going to get off in, in in that direction. But America is pretty well over the lockdown, as far as we can see. That doesn't mean it won't come back in the future. We have complete 
um, <laughs> just just consider the people running our country, and you'll you'll uh, uh, any number of any number of expletives will come to your mind um, respectfully. So, um, the people that are running our country are are uh, they have an aptitude for lockdowns. They have an aptitude for control. That's what they want. It's what they desire. So it doesn't mean that it won't come back. But the lockdowns are essentially over at this point in America. And what are you doing? Did you did you finally did you finally get back to that comfort level that you were you were missing during the lockdown and so you're just going to stay there? You know, you really need to think through where was I a year ago? What am I doing now? Did I just regain my my freedom and 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 ability to move and and not and not leashed with a mask and and all the other ridiculous things that they tried to do in light of a of a virus that it did nothing to 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 help constrain. Now that you have all that gone, what are you doing? It, has anything changed? Uh, you know, it, it's it, did did the time being locked down and 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 maybe your church. Uh, followed the dictates of the government and also locked down and and went online or did whatever it is that, that they tried to do to supplement uh, the assembling together of the Church of God. Um, did you miss that? Was it precious to you during that time? What did it did it did it did it frustrate you that you could not fellowship with the saints? Okay, now that you have it, now that it's been restored, what are you doing? I, I hope, you know, I, I hope this, you know, we kept talking about this new normal all through 2020, which was just, just a ridiculous idea. Okay. Now that you've been restored to a sense of normalcy, what are you doing with it? We had Donald Trump as our president who was a unique character to say the least, but he was very pro Christianity and he did much to facilitate an atmosphere of freedom for Christians to to live and thrive and do and and accomplish what we are supposed to accomplish, and it it appears that we did relatively nothing during that time. Are are you looking to go back to that? We we've got to be faithful. We have to do what God has instructed us to do, and and I'm and and I'm concerned as I look around and as I'm reading and 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 seeing what's going on from a distance, from the outside, I, I'm, I'm begging our churches in America, don't return to a sense of normalcy that includes a lack of service to Jesus Christ. I, I hope this, this past year has encouraged you to, to reflect on how important and how, how precious what we have is. The New Testament church, Jesus Christ said, this is my blood which is shed for you, the blood of the New Testament. You have a New Testament church because Jesus Christ shed his blood. I, I, I hope you don't take that lightly. Now, Judah's in a similar situation. The government has forced them to stop serving God. They allowed the government to force them. They, they submitted to the, to the dictates of the government. They, they decided it was more important to obey man rather than God. And it, and it has put them in this terrible situation where the house of God is lying waste and everyone is turned under their own house and they're focused on themselves. So God's going to send a prophet to, to deal with that situation. And the first message is in Haggai 1, verses 1 through 11. And it was preached in the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month in the first day of the month. That's very specific. God gives you the exact day that Haggai preached this message. Now we don't have a date on the calendar because if you did, you might try and, and, you know, make a pagan holiday out of it. So that that's not the point. The point is here's the first message. This is when it was preached and it was extremely, extremely pointed. It was very personal. Uh, God pointed out the way these people were living. He pointed out what they were saying he pointed out what they were doing, what they were not doing, and then he showed them the consequences of their lack of service to God. Drought in the land, you put money in your ba- in a bag with holes in it, you put your money on the table, and God himself said, I blow upon it. <laughs> why? He literally asked them, why is this happening? 
And then he gives them the answer because my house is lying waste. Your house looks great. Doing a great job with your house, doing a great job with it, you know, for yourself, but there's no focus on the God that gave you the ability, the materials, the blessings, everything that you have that, that has caused you to be so self-centered and self-focused. God didn't give those things so that we can turn inward. God gives us those things so we can, we can bless the people of God. We can bless the house of God. We can bless the work of God. That The resources we have should be used to get the gospel to the world, to sustain our local assembly, to sustain the men that labor in the word of God and then turn to us and then turn and, and, and teach us what they have studied. Um, that's, that's the purpose of the resources God has given us. And, and they had gotten way off track. Their lack of concern for the house of God illuminated, uh, it illuminated the reality that, 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 that they had a lack of concern for God himself. If church doesn't mean anything to you, it's because God doesn't mean anything to you. And, and the two go hand in hand. How can you have the head of the body without the body? It, it's, it'd be, it'd be an odd thing. I, I love your head. <laughs> what have you told your wife? I love your head, but I can't stand your body. <laughs> that wouldn't be a good, that, that probably wouldn't facilitate a good relationship. I'm just, I'm just guessing. <laughs> and so when we take that same attitude towards the body of Christ, and again, we want to be clear. We want to make sure there's a clear distinction here. Haggai is talking to Judah and Haggai is prophesying to Judah. That's Israel. Judah, Benjamin, the southern kingdom, the, the, the kingdom of Judah. So th- this is, you know, we want to properly, we want to rightly divide the word of truth. That's who Haggai is talking about. But there are some, there are strong biblical principles here that are applicable to the New Testament church. But we got to make that distinction today because there's a large, there are, there are large groups of, of people all across the internet and now spreading across the world who, who teach replacement theology, that the church replaced Israel, which, which is, is an idiotic notion. It's unfounded in the word of God and, and could not be proved, could not be seen. Now, what they, what they do is they take obscure verses. Um, I tried to talk with one of them one day, and, and, um, and I, anyways, we're not going to venture down that road. It's, it's, uh, the, the church did not replace Israel. And I, and I have to say that, and I have to, I have to point that out because, you know, as I, as I try to make application from what God told Judah to, to the church, I don't want to confuse anybody and, make, and, and help facilitate the assumption that the church replaced Israel. That's not the case. The, these are, these are as, I, as, I, as I read about Judah and then make application to the church, uh, I may not. I may not mention every time this distinction between the church and Israel, and so I don't want to confuse you by by jumping directly to speaking about the church, uh, because these 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 things are written for our learning and admonition. They they are directly applicable in terms of of us looking back at what happened to Judah and saying, okay, as the New Testament church, we don't want to follow this pattern. We we want to we want to we want to read this recognize that it is instructive for us and then and then take steps to negate our local assembly or the body of Christ as a whole moving in that direction or or or, or being caught up in these same these same issues so it, it's it's extremely important that we make that distinction what we're talking about here is is Judah but Judah's lack of concern for God facilitated their lack of concern for the house of God I mean, I mean, it makes perfect sense. If you don't care about God, you're not going to go to church. You don't care about God, you're not going to work on the temple. You know, it, it's the people of God, if they care about God, they're going to go get involved in the things that God cares about. And a lack of concern for God, a lack of, of concern for Jesus Christ is going to cause you to lack concern for the, for the physical entities that are, that, are, that are representative of the work of God. And so... Those things require your attention. They require uh, our assistance. They require our focus. And when we don't get focused on these things and we don't do what God expects us to do, in, in, in light of those things, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, well, he said, 
forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So it, if you say you love Jesus, but you're not going to go to church, that is contradictory to what Jesus said. He said, your love for me will cause you to obey my commandments. I have commanded you to go to church and you're not going to church. So uh, we just want to put those things in their proper context and, and, and rightly use them. So this situation illuminated a serious problem. It, it brought to light a lack of concern for God. Um, you know, we, we're out of the promised land. We're out of trouble. I mean, we're out of, out of Babylon. We're out of trouble. We're back in the promised land. I mean, <laughs> if we try to build the house of God, our adversaries bother us. But if we build our own house, there's no opposition. That's a problem. That's a problem with, that's a problematic mindset. It's a problematic way of thinking that this world is the course of this world is against God and against his word. It should be expected that opposition is going to come. Opposition is going to come if you try to go out into this world, which is following a course against God, and then you turn and follow God's course. The, the two are going to collide. Uh, you know, someone used to ask Lester Roloff, they said, uh, you know, why, why do you got to have a head-on collision with everybody? And he said, if everybody would stop going the wrong direction, I wouldn't run into them. <laughs> and uh, that's... That's where that's the position that we're in as Christians. So this lack of concern for the house of God was was a was a very bad thing. It showed it's a lack of relationship with the God that that belongs to that house, who put his name in that house, who 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 gave great promises related to that house. And um and so this is this is a big problem that needs to be dealt with. Now so they so this problem has been identified. God is frustrated by it. Um you know, so and the Lord demonstrated to Judah, He demonstrated to them that they had ne- neglected the work of God, the house of God, to their own peril. As you read through Haggai one verses one through eleven, man, it it was rough. Um, the, the consequences of neglecting God, of God's people neglecting God, God. Um, you know, there are consequences for the world neglecting God: death, murder. Um, you know, the, the extreme forms of totalitarian control that result in mass murder, mass graves, uh, disease, um, famine. I mean, th- these are, these are when you don't obey God, it's not that God, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to give you the idea that God sends punishment that, that could be, I mean, that's, that's definitely demonstrated in the Bible. But the world is structured in such a way, God created the world in such a way that when you live against God, it's destructive overall. It's destructive to a nation. It's destructive to a family. It's destructive to an individual. When, when you, when you, you know, this, this harmony and this peace that the world is seeking for, it comes through a relationship with God through, through Jesus Christ. When you try to live outside those bounds, I mean, you, you look at the look at the parts of the world that are that that were founded on biblical principles. Not they're not Christian, but they 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 had strong biblical influence. I mean, they they're just it's orderly now. Now the West, this, in general, I'm talking about the West, and the West is m- rapidly moving away from that. But if you look at historically, it it has been. Those societies have been orderly, they have been safe, they have been prosperous, they have had people with character, they have had people, you know, it, it, it really has, uh, it, it, it demonstrates to the world that a nation that will, that will, at the base level, adopt biblical principles, just at the very base level. We're not saying the nation has to become Christian. I, don't, I'm not, I would never suggest America was ever a Christian nation. You couldn't demonstrate that at all, but you can see that 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 America had a strong biblical influence and and was permeated with biblical principle, and it created the greatest country the world has ever seen. The West in general, uh, overall, were, were founded on many of the same principles, and, and 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 maybe not to the extent that America was. America broke away from Europe so that a group of people could come and and create a society that that where religious worship was free and open for the most part you know there 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 were some problems with the people that came and and we're not you know again that's not our purview I'm, I'm what I'm trying to suggest to you is that 
when you try and live life outside the bounds that God set, you know, it's, it's like when you tell a child, don't touch the oven. The oven is on. If you touch that oven, it's going to burn you. Well, something in that child's mind says, <laughs> I'm touching that oven. And as soon as you look away, they go over, they touch the oven, they burn themselves, they harm themselves. And, 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 and it was, it was, you didn't create the scenario to cause them to harm themselves. You clearly instructed them. There's a boundary here that you don't need to cross. If you choose to cross that boundary, you're going to hurt yourself. And so it's, it's essential that as individuals, as families, as nations, we find out what God says and we apply that to our lives and we try to live within those boundaries. Not, not because God is, again, is an angry tyrant that, that demands that you do what he says or else. He's a loving father who's trying to warn you. <laughs> you touch that oven, it's going to burn you. And people don't listen. They, they shake their fist at God, but the Lord neglect, I mean, the Lord demonstrated to them that their neglect of, of him and of his house and of, of the service, service to God, it was detrimental to them. It, it helped them in no way. You know, again, I've mentioned in previous broadcasts regard, on this topic that uh, sometimes we get this idea that I, I'm just going to set God aside just for a little while so that I can gain or so that I can, I can uh, take care of some, some area of my life that, that, that I could improve if I would just get rid of God just momentarily. And that, that, that is putting the cart before the horse while you're trying to go uphill. It's not, that's not how it works. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first. It, 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 that's, it, you have to put the, the, the cart has to be pulled by the horse. <laughs> so you want to put these things in their proper order so that it's sensible. And then that's how you get your life in order. You, you don't get your life in order, then come to God and see if he can maybe polish a few things for you because, because you didn't need him up until this point. You, you, Come to God, you come to God's word so that he can help you put your life in order. Over time, as you, as you adhere more and more to the word of God, as you learn more and more, again, I mentioned uh, Lester Roloff. He said, he said one time in, in, in one of his old sermons, he said, you know, when, when, I, when I learned better, I began doing better. <laughs> but the more the word of God you learn, the more you're able to, to take the word of God and identify uh, ungodliness or a lack of adherence to the word of God in your life, you can, you can then begin to work on these things and move in the proper direction. You're not going to get your life together. What does that even mean? Get your life together. That, that would be solely based on your own understanding. And God clearly told us in the word of God, lean not unto thine own understanding. You know, this idea, this, this, this picture you have in your mind, I'm getting my life together. It would be it would be completely dependent on an idea that you came up with. It would have absolutely nothing to do with with going to the Word of God and saying, "Okay, this is what God says a life that is put together is," <laughs> and that's what I'm going to try and accomplish. I'm going to work towards that, and and so we're, we we can't separate the two. You can't you can't get caught up in in these ideas of positive uh, pos- positivism that that are espoused by the world around us. Um, you know, they, motivational speakers and, and uh, men that, that try and teach you to, to, men and women who try and teach you to put your life together. I mean, that, great. There might, I'm certain there are things you can learn from people like that. But just understand as you go into that, what you're adopting is that man's vision and idea of what a put together life is. And maybe it's better than where you are now. And, and maybe it would be an improvement to, to, to the way you're living your life now. That could very well be. Just understand it's not God's suggestion and it's not God's, it's not God's direction on, as to what a put-together life is. The, the two are different. And, and so it's important that we make those distinctions. Judah, Judah didn't do that, and now God, you know, God is coming to deal with it. Uh, God's people cannot neglect God service to God or maintenance of the relationship of, of a relationship with God in the hopes that we might avoid worldly troubles or help ourselves to get ahead in some way. It's just, it just doesn't work that way. Now that, that's the first message 
that's what it dealt with. It was very pointed. It was very personal. Now, in the second message, the Lord, the Lord responds in a very positive manner to Judah's repentance. Uh, Judah repented of, of their disobedience. And uh, I didn't, did I, did I put the date in here? So the, the passage is in Haggai chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, but I did not put the time frame here. That is, that is important to, to note. So I'm going to look that up real fast. Haggai 1, verse 12 um, says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. So as a result of that, uh, so Haggai comes in the first message, he preaches to the people, and he wears them out. I mean, it is, it is a strong, it is strong preaching. The kind of preaching today that in many churches that claim to believe the Bible, people would have a heart attack if God showed up and began saying, this is what you're saying, this is how you're living, this is what you're doing, you need to fix it. <laughs> uh, yeah, people would lose their minds. So in the second message, Zerubbabel and Jeshua have led the people in, in uh, repentance, you know, a sense of revival, a renewal takes over the, the nation, and they begin rebuilding. They responded positively to hard preaching, which is incredible. <laughs> and so God sends Haggai to preach a second message in verse 15. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king, all this, all his preaching takes place in the second year of Darius the king. But he, the Lord identifies the time, the date of these messages. So this second message is in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month that that Haggai is sent to deal with the people, and uh, this time it's a lot more positive. This time God is pleased; He's happy to see movement, proper movement, in the proper direction. And um, the people regain their boldness, and they regain their dedication to the Lord, and, and they regain their, their uh, commitment to build the house of God. As a matter of fact, they ran into trouble again, the same type of trouble they ran into the first time. But this second time, they would not be stopped. Um, the first message, as I said, was, was very direct and very re- revealing, but the leaders of Judah responded in a positive way. They repented. Now, in response to their obedience, to their obedience, not, not their lip service. There's a big difference there. You know, we like to, as Christians, we like to quote Romans 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, but I, I, when I'm using that verse or when I'm, I'm uh, espousing that verse to someone, I like to emphasize the second part, and believe in thine heart. There's a big difference. Anybody can offer lip service. Anybody can, can say, yes, I believe that, or, or I, I, I you know, commit to that, or I'll do that. Talk is, is as, as we know, very cheap. Now, it would be good for you to be saying the right things because God did show up in Haggai chapter 1 and deal with what the people were saying. That's a scary thought. Uh, you know, the Bible says that every idle word, every, every thought, every word, they'll be judged. You should, we, we should all take that into some serious consideration. Uh, but God shows up. And he, and he deals with these people and they not only respond, they, they don't just, they don't just show up and say, Oh, you're right. We're wrong. We're sorry. We did that. And then go back to their house and start building their own houses again. No, they got to work. They got to work on the house of God. And, and it so pleased God that he comes back and he tell he tells Haggai, go back to them and tell them that's what I'm looking for. I am with you. If you're going to do that, you're going to live like that. I am with you. I am with you, and I'm going to stir your spirit. And, and, and he did. God stirred their spirits. They would not be stopped. They would not quit. They would not give up. And then when the, when the adversaries of Judah came back and began to trouble them again, they could do nothing to stop them. They wrote that letter back to Darius and said, this work moveth fast on. <laughs> I, we, can't, we tried to stop them. We can't stop it. What do you want us to do? And then God gave them favor with the government this time. Again, I would submit because of their obedience. Now, I can't say that if you would obey God and defy governments, and again, by defy, I don't mean fight governments. 
That is not, that is not what we are here to do. You defy the government. When the government sets themselves against God, you do what God said to do anyways. We, 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 now, you don't have to be blatant about it. You don't have to be disrespectful about it. You don't have to be in their face about it. That's not the point. That's not the goal. That's not the aim. The idea is we have to find a way, even under the, the, the rapidly expanding totalitarian, communistic, socialistic governments of the world, you have to find a way to continue to serve the word, to serve the Lord, to, to serve God, to be faithful to the word of God, and, and to get it to the people in that country. How you're going to do that, it, it's going to be different in every country. There, there are some biblical prescriptions, but, but it's, it's not, none of these are, I don't believe, are, are biblical requirements in every country. What is required is that when the government oversteps its bounds and said, you can't preach in the name of Jesus Christ, you respectfully, I'm, I'm sorry, I have to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, I, I wouldn't even suggest you have to tell them, but you do have to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. You do have to, the church is supposed to assemble themselves together. Um, now, if you can escape the persecution, you can move somewhere where you're not being persecuted. That's also a biblical principle. But we are not, what we are not permitted to do is to do nothing. We are not permitted to submit ourselves to, to men who, who are going to require us to abandon our God. That is not permissive. That is not, that is not an option that is available to us. So it, it's essential that we stay faithful to the, to the word, to the word of God. That, that may mean making some drastic changes in our lives. It may mean being, you know, turning into, you know, <laughs> Christian spies and, and doing Christian espionage and, and, you know, whatever is required of us to accomplish the Great Commission and to, and to fulfill the Word of God in our lives, we have to do it. We have to find a way to do it. Um, and when we do, it pleases God. It pleases God, and, and there is, I will suggest, the possibility that He will stir your spirit, and, and there is the possibility that He will give you favor he will give you favor and, and, and maybe give you some open doors. But as we see with what happened with Judah in the book of Haggai, he did not take away the trouble. They had to persevere through the trouble to, before they finally got to a point where God said, where God sent a, a Persian king to tell their adversaries, leave them alone. Not only leave them alone, but you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for the building of this house. And if I find out you get in their way, I'm going to tear your house down. I'm going to take the timber and hang you there and then turn, turn what's left into a, into a dunghill. So we, we, we've got to find a way to remain faithful to God. That's where our help is. That's where our refuge is. That's what is expected of us and commanded of us. We've got to stay faithful to God. So that's the second message. God responds. He responds to their repentance and their obedience. I am with you. I am going to stir your heart, man. That this is, man. That that is what God was looking for. It it pleased God. Now, the third message is in Haggai chapter two, verses one through nine. Haggai two verses one through nine. And this third message was preached in the second year of Darius, in the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month. Each message is is um, is separated by by the time. You know, God God notes the time and then sends Haggai to give the message. Now, this third message comes with its own difficulties. The, the temple is now complete, uh, but we learned in previous broadcasts that this came with mixed emotions. Uh, you know, the people, they, they, um, they, they're excited. Some of them were excited that, that, that we have built the house of God, you know, more specifically when they laid the foundation. There, there was this intermingling of, of, of ancient men that mourned at what they saw, and then you had the, the, the new crowd coming in that are just excited to do something for God. They don't know anything about the old temple. They don't, they don't you know, they're, they're 70 years past um, what Judah had, had done or accomplished or, or, or what they had, had attained prior. So uh, that meant nothing to them. But God asked the people directly, how do you see this house? How do you see this new house in light of the previous one? 
Um, you know, that, that's, that, that's a good question to ponder, to sit and think about. You know, you should, we should all, from time to time, reflect on our lives and ask yourself, where have I come from? Am I still there? Have I gone anywhere? You know, has, has there, have there been any improvements in my life in terms of moving more and more in a biblical direction? And the, the longer you avoid that type of personal confrontation, the better chances that, that there, there's a better chance that someday you're going to be asked this type of question about your life. How do you see it now? Do, do you see what you could have had? Do you see what would have been? Had you remained faithful, had you had you done what what I expected of you, and and it would be good for us to identify those realities in our lives because I'm I'm certain in every one of our lives they exist, but we don't want to stay there. We don't want to dwell there. We, it, it'd be good to note it. It'd be good to realize it and realize what caused our our loss or what caused our lack, and and not allow it that that loss or that lack to exist moving forward. Uh, what we tend to do is we realize what we've lost and then we just quit. Like, well, if I can't have what, what I wanted or I can't have what could have been, then, then I just quit. And that's, that's not going to get you anywhere. That's not going to help in any way. That doesn't help, that doesn't help your relationship with God. That doesn't help you become more Christ-like. That doesn't help the world around you escape hell. That, that doesn't help anybody. It's a very selfish and self-centered mentality and attitude, and, and you don't want to adopt that type of attitude. Um, you know, self-pity is not what we're is not the aim here. But identifying areas of failure and and doing what is necessary to to correct it that is that is invaluable, and and we we, we should learn to take these times of reflection. God God comes to them and he asks them, do you? You see this latter house? It's not. It's not like the former. It, it's not the same. But I am going to bless this house. I'm going to fill it with glory. I'm going to give it more glory than the latter house. I can still use what you've done here. I. I, I will. I will. You know. And this is the beautiful thing about the Christian life. It's good for us to identify our failures, uh, because identifying those failures and the source of those failures can help us to correct it. Again, all this, all this through the Word of God, not through self-help, not through, uh, you know, whatever, whatever your, whatever videos you're watching, whatever you're listening to, whatever member of this world you're turning to to gain help, to get your life together, to fix problems, maybe repetitive problems you've identified that exist in your life. Um, again, those, those people, those things can be helpful, but that's not the solution. The solution is the word of God. The solution is, is reviewing that area of our life and those aspects of our life in, in contemplation with the word of God with meditation on the word of God. God said this about that situation. Here's how I've been handling that situation. Here's the results of here here is the result of that situation. But here's what God said to do. Now, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to get away from living over here and move over here in in, in accord with the word of God? So, uh th- these moments of reflection, they're difficult. They require personal honesty, which which tends to, to, to be neglected in, in moments of personal reflection. <laughs> we, we like to think about anything good we might have done, like, I don't know, got up before noon. <laughs> you know, it just, the, the looking at the world today, the, the, the bar is very low. And that's not a bar that God set. That, that's not, you know, that, 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 that's not where we want to be. We want to be, man, we want to be up there with Jesus Christ. The Bible says we are seated in heavenly places. We should live like it. You know, we should walk worthy of the vocation. You know, it, it just, it, these are things that we need to sit down, think about, consider where we are, consider where we were, and, and how we're going to move forward in the future. God lays that out in front of them, but God is a gracious God. He's a good God. And he says, I, I want you to recognize what your sin has cost you, but also 
I am God is appreciative of your obedience and your repentance. So I'm going to use you. You're continuing to move in the right direction. Uh, that that pleases God, and and we want to do that. We want to help the rest of the world to do that. Now, the fourth message is in Haggai chapter two, verses ten through nineteen. And the fourth message came in the four and twentieth day in the ninth month in the second year of Darius the king. God sends Haggai back to prophesy. Now, this message is incredibly complex. If you think back to to the last message and what I, you know, sort of what I just laid out, the this these moments and this time of personal reflection and 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 God dealing with people now. The last message was a little more positive. It, 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 God did point out the failure, failure that came as a result of, of Judah's sin. And then he told them that, that the consequences of their newfound obedience is that I, I am with you. I am with you. I'm going to stir your heart. I'm going to use this temple. I'm going to give it more glory than the latter temple. I'm going to fill it with glory. I'm, I am going to use it. Okay. But, <laughs> but. This next message is is incredibly complex, and it notes the gracious long suffering of God. If you if you if you look at it properly, if you look at it, what I believe is the correct way to examine the situation. His purpose in this in this fourth message was to deal with the priest. Um, in 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 previous messages and previous uh, prophecies, uh, pr- you know, prophesying from Haggai, Haggai went directly to Zerubbabel and he went directly to Jeshua and, and he dealt with them directly. In this case, he's coming directly to the priests and, and it's a message meant specifically for, for them in positions of, of spiritual leadership. So that'd be very good for us. Now the Bible says as Christians, we are priests and kings so th- this is going to be something to really consider. You should read this message. You should take the time and, and go through it and listen to what God has to say here. It's extremely important. Now, his purpose was to address the priests in a, with a message, you know, meant specifically for, for when you're in this position of spiritual leadership, your decisions, the way you live your life, what you do, what you teach, what you teach in light of what you do, it, it has much larger consequences than, than just the local, than, than just your life, the, the local assembly and the nation that you serve as a whole. It, it can have very serious implications. Now, unlike the other messages, th- this was meant specifically for them. Now, it, it, it included the priests, but the final implication you know, so so take what I just said and 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 put that in your mind. The priest is in lead, in a position of spiritual leadership. He's living a certain way, but he's teaching something different. So he's teaching. Let's say he's faithful to teaching the word of God, but he doesn't live in accord with the word of God. He's not he's not living in obedience to the word of God. Now that has implications that that that's going to carry over to the people over which he has leadership. That'd be his local congregation, uh, in this case at the temple, in your case, in my case, at our local church. And and then from there, it's going to spill out of the church into the families, which make up the society, which make up the nation. And so when there's a failure and a breakdown in spiritual leadership, and I would suggest there's a, there's a, there's a, that, that's a big problem today. If, if, if that breakdown, if, if it starts at the top, at the, at the person in, in position of leadership, spiritual leadership, it's going to carry all the way through to, to every area of society. Now, that doesn't mean that if you got your leadership correct, that every area of society would then turn correct. What that, what that means is that, that people have a place to go. They have a proper example. They have somewhere to look to, not only of what to hear, but they can see a man who's doing what needs to be done. And then that gets carried out into society rather than this hypocrisy that people love to note about Christians. Now, everyone's a hypocrite. It's, 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 it's hypocritical for them to, to <clears throat> excuse me, for lost people to note the hypocrisy in the church. 
because they are hypocrites themselves. It's just, it's a, it's a standard aspect of, of being human, but that doesn't mean we should be okay with it. And that doesn't mean we should allow it to exist in our life. We should be working to remove any form of hypocrisy that exists. Um, it may take the Lord coming back to, to put the final touches on that, but we should be working and striving every single day through the word of God to remove any form of hypocrisy from our life. Now, the priests are in this position of leadership. We just got this very positive message from God. I am with you. I'm going to stir your hearts. By the way, the temple is finished. I'm going to fill it with glory. I'm going to give it more glory than the previous house. But, and this is where that self-reflection comes in. We should be excited about our obedience and the areas of our obedience. But, but we've, we've, we've also, we, we, we have to continually be seeking and searching out those areas in our lives that, that shouldn't be there, that are in disobedience to God. Um, this place is a heavy importance on the need for strong leadership and strong leadership is not a man who can take charge. There are a lot that there are, there are not enough of them in existence, but there are many men in existence who can, who can walk in a room and take charge of that room. That's not, that's not necessarily what we're, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a man who will lead people in the way of righteousness. And then when they go and examine his life, they'll find that, sure, maybe he makes some mistakes here and there. But overall, he is faithful to what he preaches. Again, I'll use another phrase from Lester Roloff. He's, he's coming to my mind a lot, a lot this morning. Lester Roloff used to say that, that the best way to pull a man out of a ditch is to keep your, your, your tires on the concrete. <laughs> you don't crawl down in the ditch with him. And so, you know, you just... We have to keep these things in mind. Now, I, I suggested this this next message is is incredibly complex, and and if you've been following these studies, we've noted the various ups and downs that Judah experienced in rebuilding the temple. But by the time we arrive to Haggai one, the Lord is frustrated. He's aggravated, and he and he sends he sends Haggai and Zechariah to deal with it. Now the people respond well to the preaching. They obey the voice of the Lord. It specifically says that. They obeyed the they had, they they obeyed God's word that came from Haggai the prophet. This is one of the rare instances they didn't kill the prophet or persecute the prophet. They obeyed him. They listened. Now, in return, God promises His presence with them. Uh, he He promises uh, uh, in this time of obedience, He's going to stir their spirit. He's going to use this temple that they've made. And then in Haggai two, the temple is complete. God makes all his promises regarding that temple. Um, then the Lord turns to the priests in this fourth message and says, you and this entire nation, the priest and the entire nation, you're unclean. Now, this is, it's, it's mind-boggling to some extent. And I suppose we, we can get lost in the high in the high points of our Christian life, and assume we have arrived, until God comes and and <laughs> puts His finger in our chest again and says, "Well, you know, what you've done, this obedience that that has existed has been great, but what about this area over here that you've neglected? What about this aspect of your your life, your character, or your lack of character, your attitude? Why have you allowed these things to continue to exist?" And that, that's, that's where the complexity comes in. It's good to be excited about what we're accomplishing for the Lord. I mean, my, my wife and I, we, live in, we, we gave up everything in America, moved to Africa. Praise the Lord. We are excited about that. And we're in Uganda where, where though lately I've hit, a, I've hit a, uh, uh, maybe a patch of of Ugandans who are a little more difficult to deal with than, than I had previously run into. Um, it just means that there's some areas of Uganda where, where the ground needs to be plowed and, 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 and it needs to be watered and some seeds need to be planted. And, and you know, you got to continue to do the work. But generally speaking, Ugandans are very, very easy to deal with. They're very, they're very open and receptive to the word of God. And, and it seems like every week people are getting saved, whether it's through my wife and I out witnessing to people or 
people we have taught, outwitnessing the people, or we're here with Brother Keith Stensis, and he's planted several churches. He he told me he just got back from Kalido, and if I if I remember this correctly, he said that when he went up there, he was so encouraged because the men he's been working with up there, these men. And again, I, I may have the numbers wrong. I've asked him several times, but I, I, I've failed to to remember. Uh, I believe he's working with about 35 churches, and those 35 churches right now are discipling more than 80 people. Now that's they're discipling more than 80 new converts, people who have trusted in Jesus Christ and have 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 to some extent joined themselves to their local assemblies and are and are going through a formal discipleship discipleship process. That's incredible. That's wonderful. That is exciting. And it's easy to get lost in that excitement and we and in, and we should be excited about it. I'm not suggesting that that's not something we shouldn't be excited about or or should celebrate. We absolutely should. But we can't neglect the areas in our life where uncleanness still exists and and here and and you know just in a moment of of (laughs) of sobriety god sends haggai back and says i you know happy for you excited lord is happy with this obedience he's happy the temple is built he's going to use this temple but you're unclean you and this this entire nation you're unclean now the Levites and the priests were found to have had to have made serious mistakes that needed to be dealt with, and some of this can be read. You know, you can find some of this to some extent in, in Nehemiah. If you read Ezra, the latter chapters of Ezra, when when Ezra uh, has to go and deal, Ezra and Nehemiah both have to deal with, you know, Levites who married Gentile women who, who, are, who had participated in things that they knew they were not supposed to be involved in. And now here they are back in the land. They're trying to assemble the Levites. They're trying to put them in their place. And, and in doing so, they realize, you, you got a Gentile wife. God told you, a Jew, not to marry a Gentile. You're not supposed to do that. And so these things had to be dealt with. And, 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 and I presume this is a reference to some extent to some of that. The Lord said, you know, it, we read repeatedly in, Hag- in uh, Ezra chapter 3 that they got that altar built and they immediately began offering sacrifices. Well, here in Haggai chapter 2, the Lord says, your sacrifices are unclean. They're not, they're not acceptable. It's like, what? you know, the, 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 I'm sensing a mixed message here. <laughs> are we doing good or not? And the question is, Yes. You're doing good and you're not. And and that'll be the continual state of being of the Christian life until the Lord comes back and, and makes us whole. And, and and until then, it's a continual battle where we should accept we should celebrate the play, the areas of obedience and we should progress in the areas of obedience and we should we should remain faithful to the areas of obedience. And we gotta identify the areas of disobedience. And we've got to attack them, and we've got to deal with it, and and that's what God's dealing with here. It's what God is telling these people. It's what He is suggesting to them. He's telling them, "Look, you're, you're, this is not good. This is good, but this is not good. And this is great, and and I'm excited about this, and I'm going to help you because of this. But but this better be dealt with. And we need to remain in this place of continual examination." We need God's help. We need to stay focused on these things. Now, the fifth and final message came in the four and 20th day of the month, still in the second year of Darius the king. This final message is directed specifically to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. Um, it seems to be God's way of informing Judah through Zerubbabel that they, they are venturing into a new way, a new way of life. Um, it's temporary, but it is a new way of life. You're going to abide many days without a king. Zerubbabel is not your king. He's a governor that was appointed by the Persian kings. Uh, you now you now exist as, as Israel, as Judah. You exist in the time of the Gentiles. And you're going to stay that way un, until I come back to deal with it. And, the, and, and here the Lord makes this prophecy. He prophesies to, to Zerubbabel that um, there is a coming king. Jesus Christ. 
He's going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom on earth. And when he does that, uh, he's going to set all things right. He'll restore Judah to their proper place. He'll restore Israel to, to its proper place. And, um, and, and he will rule and reign. But until then, the Gentiles reign. Their very presence at this point, as we've discussed before, in, back in the promised land came, came with the permission of, of uh, Cyrus, king of Persia. The temple, they, they, they've you know, rebuilt this temple. They finally get the temple done. Well, that was done with the permission of Darius. You know, Darius didn't interfere. Darius said, yeah, we're going to permit that. We're going to permit that. And, and those of you that are, that are their adversaries over there on that side of the river, don't let me find out you've done anything to interfere with this or to hinder it. And so um, the Lord sends this last message to Zerubbabel, and he, he tells them that he's going to come. He's going he's to shatter the nations. He's going to break the Gentile powers. He's going to restore Israel to its proper place. But till then, you'll abide many days without a king. You'll, not, you'll be scattered across the earth. Um, it, you just, you're, you're not going to live in the promised land the way, the way I, I, the way you had in prior years. This is a whole new thing, a whole new way of living. And, and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to correct it. God's going to come back. Jesus is going to make things right. But until then, this is where you are now. Ezra chapter 6, verse 14 says, The elders and the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, and they builded and finished it according to the commandment of the, of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, this last Artaxerxes, this is not, you know, we're not going to go too far into this, but uh, he would be the Artaxerxes in the day of Nehem, uh, in the day of Nehemiah. Um, he he was far more favorable to the work than the the Artaxerxes that the adversaries of Judah wrote their letters to, who caused them to shut down the work. Nehemiah, Artaxerxes, the Artaxerxes of his day finds out Nehemiah is troubled. Ask him why, and he says the walls around the house, around Jerusalem are not are not rebuilt. And he asked permission to go, and Artaxerxes was favorable to that and, and allowed them to finish that work. Now, this gives us definitive proof from the Word of God that the preaching of the Word of God is what will cause people to prosper. Now, I don't mean prosperity as in you're going to be rich. I mean prosper in, in accomplishing the work of God, in people being faithful to the work of God, of people being faithful to Jesus Christ. Preachers today should stop shying away from the teaching and the preaching of God's word. We're trying to slip that out the back door and and slip in some more, you know, you know, some nice and comfortable and entertaining ways to, you know, to just bring people in. <laughs> no, you're a coward. Stop being a coward. Preach the word of God. Teach the word of God. I couldn't sit through one of those weak, effeminate churches. It, 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 I've had to, I've had to make, I've had to attempt it a couple of times and it took everything in me not to, not to vomit. Um, we can be certain that the absence of biblical preaching will help no one. You might, you might take this contemporary method where you throw out the word of God and, and you throw out the pulpit and you throw out the hymnals and you put up the screens and the monitors and the light shows and the contemporary music and, and you, and you completely alter, you bring in the, the very weak and effeminate song leader who stands up by himself with his guitar and his skinny jeans and, and leads worship, whatever that means. That helps absolutely no one. It's the word of God that caused these people to prosper. They prospered under the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah, who preached hard, very hard. They preached the word of God, and that's what people need. They need someone to open the Bible and teach them the word of God. If people are going to be encouraged to serve God, it will be through faithful preaching from the word of God, <laughs> period. There's no need for methods. There's no need for some, some new way. Open that book, teach the word of God, and let the word of God deal with the hearts and minds of the people. That's what's needed. That's what works. So 
your 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 country club with a Christian slant that you've created, it might have a lot of people. I have no doubt about that. Entertainment tends to bring people who want to be entertained. But you've helped no one by by stripping them of the word of God. Nothing is being done there that's going to please God or or help move the world or our country or or our countries in in a in a godly direction. It's not going to happen. It's not happening. America is overrun with contemporary liberal weak cowards. Churches that that claim to be churches but they're removing the word church. It's the breeze and it's redemption church and <laughs> whatever. Weak cowards. That's not what is needed. That's not that that that's 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 an odd form of entertainment. A bunch of weak, effeminate men who who look gender neutral. You you don't know what's going on or who's in who's in control or in charge. That's that's not biblical Christianity. We need men to stand up, preach the word of God, and we need men and families to be faithful to the word of God. That's what's going to make change. That, that that's what's going to turn things in a proper direction. Now. If you have any questions regarding these studies thus far, please leave a comment or send me a private message. You, you know how important your interaction on the, on the various platforms that you listen to this. It, it's extremely important. I need it if, if this is to continue, if this is to flourish, if this is to be passed around. Um, if, you, if you deem this worthy of passing on, then share it. If, if I said something here you have a question about or that you'd like to talk about or, or you'd like to highlight or you have a different idea as long as it's a, a biblical idea, leave a comment. It, it'd be great. I'd, I would really enjoy that. Many of you have. Many of you have sent me mes- either private messages or you, you have left comments and, and, and shared these teachings. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a huge encouragement. It's a huge blessing. Thank you. I'm grateful for the feedback I've, got, I've received already. I hope this is a blessing and a help to you. Thank you for listening. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.